Hello, everyone. My name is Lydia. This is Carla. And I am Kim. We are super happy to have Kim Bates with Kim us Bates. today. Kim Bates. <laughs> oh, can, I, can I say the name of the podcast? Yes. <laughs> Welcome to No Librarians Allowed. Excellent. So we're, we're happy to chat about technology training podcasts, all kinds of fun things today. So Kim, you've been working in libraries for a while. How long have you worked in libraries and with technology specifically? Uh, with technology specifically since like 2014, I think. But I've been in libraries since 2009. You've done a bit of work um, in training and, and digital literacy specifically. Mm -hmm. What do you enjoy about teaching and working with staff in digital literacy? Well, I didn't really know it. Uh, being a digital literacy librarian was something that I was, it was like a career goal. Check. <laughs> but it really took me in a direction that I wasn't expecting. And what I really liked about digital literacy, I thought it was going to teach me just a lot about technology and how technology becomes part of work in the library. But really what I learned about was the way technology affects people on more of a psychological le level. And um, that's what I found super interesting. It ended up being a whole lesson in psychology and emotion. <laughs> People feel the pressure. And if they feel like there's something wrong with them, if they don't know, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it, there's, I don't know, I have it. I feel like other people have it. Well, I mean, I've, I've certainly had interactions with family members, colleagues who, you know, I felt stupid talking about some piece of technology or like, I haven't known how to do something or something's broken and it's kind of like, okay, move over. Like I'll blah, blah, blah. Like I'll, I'll just do it, it for you. I'll just do it for you. Or like, well, technical term, technical term, technical term, I roll. And I'm yeah. like, uh, <laughs> like, okay, thanks for your help. Or like, and so I'm sure there's lots of subtle ways that people kind of develop shame and fear about technology and mm -hmm. using it, you know, in their everyday or at their workplace or, yeah. or whatever. I kind of wonder too about having it be a specific domain like technology as a type of question or technology is something that people work in. Basically a subject matter, an area of subject expertise. So like I wonder if in the past if people like quaked in fear when a medical question came in or a law question or a business question oh, yeah. where there were like specific librarians designed to help in those subject areas even in a public library, reference librarians versus other types of librarians and they had like the specific knowledge versus kind of everybody else who was dealing with all of the other easy questions. So maybe that's just morphed over time into into being tech questions as its own specific domain. Yeah. <laughs> Carla's saying stuff. Who knows if it's true? <laughs> the stakes seem higher, right? Because even though we're told, well, nobody's going to die, but there's something about medical questions that has pretty significant... Someone could die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah somebody could die. And in the U.S., apparently, a lot of public librarians, or even like in hybrid libraries where they may be in a college but they serve the public, people literally self-defend, right? Like they go to court because yeah. the law system is so expensive. So it does have consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, now I'm freaked out. Tech is important. Nobody do tech except for the experts. <laughs> you mentioned um, the reward of seeing kind of the light bulb and when things connect. Have you also found that sometimes it's the learning is not linear, that it seems like they get it, and then sometimes they maybe fall back into their preferred patterns, and then they iterate and kind of reflect again? Well, I guess so. 
But for the most part, I think we could see the questions that were coming in were changing and they were getting more complex. That's what we wanted. We didn't want staff to be coming to us with the easy questions that we thought they could handle on their own. Right. But with the ones that were a lot more difficult that we actually needed to call a vendor or do a lot of extra research beyond what you could do at the library desk. So, I mean, it took some time because it took time for people to work their way through the actual course. We had to deliver it over the course of a year. But I feel like it made a difference. And I feel like the questions that people are coming up with are like, they're a lot more prepared with the information. So they're not just saying, oh, this person can't download their book. It's like, we've tried this, we've tried that, we've tried this, I Googled that, I couldn't find it. All sorts of um, attempts have been made and here's what they were. What do you suggest I do next? Not so even those strategies have grown. Yeah. But I also, you mentioned, I don't know if I'm projecting, but we know obviously populations change, but expectations of customers change, right? What seemed challenging 10 years ago, now it's a whole new level, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or like the technology, the, the hardware, what's on the market changes. So it's never <laughs> figured out. Yeah. Yeah, you never, you're always going to get somebody with a new thing that doesn't know how to use it. <laughs> I'm picturing like a dusty old almanac or something that gets updated every 10 years and like that's the one place you go for information. And now it's like, oh, there's 9,000 kinds of smartphones and half of them have updated this year and that broke things and then the other half are a different kind totally and there's different systems and next year it will be something entirely different. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's a different landscape. That's a totally inane comment. Guess what, guys? Technology changes fast. (laughs) People have to keep up. I always found that that was something that people also need to get used to, is like sort of getting comfortable with that change and accepting that as a fact of life for technology. And so teaching like broader concepts or rather than the specifics like you talked about, like first do this, then do this, then do this, then do this, is more useful in a way because it's applicable to multiple Mm -hmm. contexts. Yeah, and then they start recognizing different symbols and patterns that they've used in the past so they can more easily solve mysteries. It's so meta, right? Like those reflective, contextualize the learning in your life too, that it's not just tech, it's many other things to have a chance to practice that with another person that you probably don't know. Like that's a privilege to continue to learn, I think. Maybe Mm -hmm. not everyone thinks that way. Sorry, the symbols and patterns and recognizing buttons do you have an example well like a person comes in with a flip phone and a person at the desk like oh i've never seen this like these aren't manufactured anymore but there are some set of orientation that kind of tells you it's a self or like a mobile phone and yeah how do you go about you know decoding sleuthing? that's a good point <laughs> well like if you did take a flip phone like you have the navigation arrow buttons on it So you can move back and forth and up and down like a joystick. And then you'll start to see menus and the word setting. And then in a new phone, you'll recognize that settings gone from a word to a gear. And when you hover over the gear, then you'll see it says settings. And then you click that and you can get that menu. How do you even know where that list of menus are when there's nothing there on a screen, but three little lines stacked on top of each other? Well, that's actually an abstract menu list that you click on then you get the and we didn't know that even in 2004 but now many people i mean you might not have known that in like 2007 or 8 like 
But what you might know is that there is a thing that's called settings, mm-hmm. and it should do X, Y, and Z. And there is a menu that should take you to options, and yeah. it lives somewhere on it. Yeah. So those are like the kind of broader concepts maybe that are helpful to share with staff and with customers so that it's like it's not totally foreign like there isn't literally a ghost in this machine that like (laughs) that's one of our topics it's not magic (laughs) it's not haunted it's not magic (laughs) yeah but and then as like who knows what the next iteration of the menu and settings Mm -hmm. are is gonna be but now like somebody who has that knowledge can go to one of those like crazy modern websites that has a word on it and you're like what do you do with like where is this just a page and then they can go they'll know usually it's up in the right corner or there's something on the left or maybe if I hover over the title of the that's on the middle of the page something will pop up so they start getting some intuition about how to navigate Mm -hmm. online what are some of the strategies that you share with staff to help find more information so if they're like I don't really know anything about this device or like I've never seen this problem before what do they do Well, that's what we kind of tackle in the very beginning where you're getting prepared for the questions and how do you prepare yourself for something. So understanding that there are vendors that we use that sell us the products. They have help sites. They have frequently asked questions. They oftentimes now or more and more they're having like the online chat features as well. Or there's an email, like send us an email and we can answer your question. Unlike Overdrive, we'll have a ticketing system and giving... Um, empowering staff to send in a ticket and ask the questions that they need to ask. And then they can even see, like, this is all the information. Overdrive will need to answer your question because it's all these fields Mm -hmm. of, like, what's the device, what's the operating system, et cetera, et cetera. Being Mm -hmm. familiar with what we even carry in our e-collections and Mm -hmm. what sort of devices are out there and which ones are popular and which ones are a little more obscure. And the ones that are obscure, like, there was a... I don't think they make them anymore, but you know those... Those bargain store e-readers. Tech Libre, for example. My favorite. That never worked. From like Walmart, yeah. Yeah. And people be like, it was $20. I thought it would be a good alternative. <laughs> and you're like, no, it's not going to work. Um, Fun challenge. But like, yeah, staff would be like, oh, crap. Someone came with a hip street. Uh, yeah, hip street. Yes. <laughs> it's so niche now. Like, yeah. The tech hipsters will be. Hipsters are using hip street. Yeah. <laughs> Because they're like, Incel Retro. (laughs) They're cassette tapes and they're like, old school e-reader. Yeah. (laughs) But it's interesting that strategy of, in in many ways, like almost lifting the curtain, if you will, of troubleshooting and and actually forcing or encouraging staff to fill out those forms demystifies the process for us as kind of the second tier of trainers, right? Like, that's what we do. And actually, again, it's not magic. It's Mm -hmm. not that me, you, or Carla have any, like, special superpowers injected to us when we start this job. That would be awesome. No, I was totally clueless. I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember questions would come in, and I'd be like, someone answer the phone. Huge imposter syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Because I can't answer. Well, but that's also helpful to share with staff, right? Like, I've, I've often, like, broken that down for staff and just been like, look, I have never seen this stuff before. Like, I've never had that question before. I have no idea what to do. So let's figure out what's going on next. Yeah. So kind of like getting them familiar with the collection. So like all the different e-resources that the library has, identifying where resources are for them to search. So like the the vendor websites or things like that. And searching Mm -hmm. are kind of the the three things that you identify. I think people forget how powerful Google can be. For sure. When you're not just at the bar wondering who's in that movie. Like, 
As a young library assistant, I think it was definitely one of those aha moments for me where it was totally legit and, in fact, absolutely approved and encouraged to search for things in Google because I think there maybe I was I was trained under the, I don't know the old school reference or like the correct way gosh I want that almanac right with the thousand books that are published it every is year. legit that is <laughs> yeah. the only information you can use isn't that so comforting but to realize that actually yes yeah, searching for things and tapping into that hive mind is like that's literally what the job is I'm ashamed to admit how long it took me to just be okay with that yeah just probably like whispering like don't tell anyone don't tell anyone <laughs> when i started working at public library this is 2009 and there was a certain department that would print off the internet and file it in a filing cabinet i'm sorry print off the internet yeah so they'd get a question and they would print it and then they would file it in case that question came up again <laughs> This is the happiest thing I've ever heard in my life. This makes my day. And then how there was like... How many files were in this? I don't know. I, I don't know how many. I don't even know how it was even organized. Like, I don't know how you would organize the internet like that, but... So then, like, was one person searching only? And then, like, no one else was allowed to touch the internet? They could so only they, look in the file cabinet? When people would come to the desk... Yeah, yeah. They but thought like, it would be helpful if they printed off what they searched for and then put it in the... I don't know how, but they I'm also had like on a to the rope. shelves over here being like, <laughs> tell me what it looked like. Explain to me using the set of shelves what it looked like. Yeah, it was just like a set of shelves like this. What? You pull out like one of those metal filing cabinets, like well, a tall obviously one. Obviously alphabetically. Okay, so I'm assuming yeah, maybe there was, it was like alphabetically. I one don't know. special internet person and they were the only person allowed to touch the internet and everybody else was like, that is, you know, some kind of devil machine. And therefore they will do any searches and I will only look in the file cabinet. That's the only explanation I can think of. No, everybody, like when any, whenever someone was at the desk and a customer would come up, they would do their search and they would print it off and put it in the filing cabinet. They also had like a Rolodex of like hot questions, like uh, water, Rolodex? Uh, water boils at which temperature? <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah, it was crazy. So like, that's a really good example of people's wow. inability to and like. that's not even 10 years ago. No. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean. That's when I started was 2009 and it took them a while to get rid of it. Like I remember there's a few of us that started at the same time and it took a while for them to be like, it's okay. You can just look it up again. It's still going to be there. Well, I kind of feel like that's one of the lessons that I've taken away from staff training and implementing new initiatives, be it like, you know, okay, we have eBooks now and yes, you should help people with their devices or some cool hip technology like hip street for example. Yeah, one of the things that I've I've learned is like how to look for not just the quick win, but like a slow burn with staff doing staff training because I feel like it they kind of evolved too and like it makes sense because you are teaching a model that is the opposite of opening up someone's brain and putting information in and closing it again so that they can spit that information out when needed. Mm -hmm. Because that's not how like, that's not how people find answers. That's not even necessarily how people are learning. So it makes sense that we would expect that a staff member's learning is like, is iterative. It takes time. It, there's discovery and there's wins and there's setbacks and there's ups and downs rather than, okay, like I've attended this training session for three hours. And now. Uh, yeah, no, I were like, I've talked to other libraries about this type of training that we did. And I try to make it clear, like, this isn't something like some miracle course that we just 
implemented and now everybody's on board and gets yeah. it and does it all. Like it took years of prepping for this to actually work. Like it took a long time of preparing the staff and figuring out how best to deliver information and then like repeatedly explaining an approach and then it became this thing like it evolved over time like not just for staff but even for us as trainers mm -hmm. the cabinet model too and what carla's also talking about you didn't exactly mention like memory necessarily but learning and, and retention and retrieval right so on one hand las is really good at like coming up with systems for filing information and retrieving it as if humans were robots, right? Like as if we were those filing cabinet arms that go and pick, yeah. you know, go into this folder, grab the answer and retrieve it. But also I wonder, I know we discussed this in um, sort of humanities computing, the internet and the digital age did bring a paradigm of search versus browse and kind of old indexing rules of like, there's only one place to look. And, and I, I wonder, like I can definitely understand and maybe relate to that desire to, for not only a tangible copy, but a model that has worked from, from the 60s, right? Filing cabinets and kind of one thing per place. Mm -hmm. Whereas I know it took me a while to like rely on search and you know, Google like built this whole model and the more you search, the better it gets, right? So feeding that, that muscle to rely on search as a retrieval strategy rather than browsing and coming up with those categories. To me, the, the categories, the filing cabinet model, if you will, represents how we have been sort of in the paper age, mm. but now the searching, the keywording, and people apply that to their own inboxes. It's not obvious, right? As soon as you get an e email uh, account, you don't think to search your inbox. Yeah. But now we do it because we have parallels in, on the internet for yeah. that. But it's a learned behavior, right? It's, it's a strategy. So I, I can see how, the, like, it not probably evolved yeah. in a certain context, but now it seems kind of like, why would you do that? Yeah, it seems weird. I'd never thought of it that way before. In the physical world, so I'm looking at my shelf now, a book can only occupy one place, mm -hmm. right? And even if I had multiple copies of that book, each one would only take so many inches on the shelf. But in the digital world, we can assign keywords to it and it can exist in multiple places. Now that's a thing that we learn. It's like a new concept. That's hard. Yeah. And it may seem obvious to someone who comes from like a computing science background, but library science evolved out of classifying real things. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Solving the case. Detective metaphor. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you mentioned um, psychology. <laughs> Are you a psychologist by training, Kim Bates? No, no, I'm not. I am art history undergrad. But, but, I am planning to go back for a master's degree Ooh. in material culture. And while, as I'm filling out my application right now, it really occurred to me how much digital literacy librarianship really fed into my idea of what material culture is and how people interact with the digital world as well as the physical world because in fact I feel like the digital world is in fact a physical part of our life even though it's this abstract thing that doesn't really exist anywhere but it is everywhere anyway Whoa, my mind is blown no I'm really glad you bring that up because I think we've we've discussed sort of the intersection of material mm -hmm. I think about this a lot with like children's toys and combining you know so many toys nowadays will have either a layer or an app or something. So children, I think, respond to the tangible, the surface, but so do adults, right? We find Whoa. ways to 
So you're starting this master's or you're, you're applying and yeah, I'm in the process of applying for it. That's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you'll have I'm to really update excited. us yeah. and see how, so you'd like to study kind of that intersection of the digital and the physical. Well, material. I want to study something that's not digital, but okay. I feel like the whole, uh, idea, all the concepts that I learned that we just talked about, uh, in digital literacy training, I feel like it will inform a lot of the what I plan on studying, which is more of a craft-based topic. Right. I think like the whole idea of like context and emotion and expectations will will really feed into it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited. So perhaps another intersection of your interests, um, you know, we've talked about training, but there's another area of technology that you have been digging into personally and professionally, perhaps recently. Um, mm -hmm. What might it be? Um, I'm working <laughs> on the Edmonton Public Library podcast with yeah. my buddy Bryce, <laughs> and it's been super fun. You've mentioned that you just love podcasting and you've oh my gosh. discovered how much you enjoy it. I just think it's so much fun. <laughs> so what is it about it that, I guess, surprised you and kind of hooked you in? Well, I like talking. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you are not kidding. No, I, I do like talking, but also... Um, what surprised me most was how interesting I thought the whole editing process is and how people's voices become these like lines on a screen and you can really see the manifestation of people's voice on Absolutely. the screen. So when I'm doing like if we if I was editing this, I would be able to like eventually you start to see the patterns of my voice and it'd be like, oh, Kim's talking. Oh, Carla's talking. Oh, Lydia's talking. <laughs> and I know when I'm putting in filler. So I'll be mm. able to identify the thing that is my um. Right. Yeah. Cool. I just think it's so fascinating. Being a non-tech person, I find recording equipment to be the craziest thing that's ever been invented. The idea of sound waves etched into a physical product and then being able to be reproduced as a piece of music seems miraculous to me. It's mm -hmm. like a miraculous concept. I mean, yes, I can learn more about this process, but it's just one of the coolest things. Yeah, it's amazing. So we've been talking about literacy and kind of orienting your way around menus and buttons and certain conventions there's a parallel to learning music right like learning how to read notes is very hard but with practice people do um you know interpret and hear that in in their mind and what you were saying about waves right and what like what an um sounds like and how, even um, laughing right i can recognize mm -hmm. carla's laughing <laughs> delete on, delete not at all no <laughs> Like it starts to make sense. It starts to have meaning, right? Yeah. Whereas before it was all jumble and like that's a learning process. Yeah, it's really interesting. I love it. It makes you see like the, the conversation becomes this three-dimensional object mm. in space. For me, this mm. is getting a little bit... <laughs> a little bit out there. You can like edit it differently because you start to listen to the conversation in a different way. And so I'll hear like, I don't know, even just like 25, 30 seconds of conversation and um be like okay something's got to go here like there's stuff is dull it's boring it's not catching me i don't want to listen to this so what what needs to go and you can start like picking out like you hear the conversation to a point and you're like okay i like it up to here and then it's like i like this part and i like that part and then you can delete the stuff in between and make this fake conversation that never happened not that i'm like <laughs> Fabricating. <laughs> Fabricating people's <laughs> ideas or anything. But I'm making a conversation. 
sort of. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about this and other people probably be like, yeah, duh. But like, it's one of those amazing things about like creative technologies being made available for the average person. You know, maybe sound engineers understood that in the past or like film editors understood how to do those kinds of things. But like the fact that we're sitting here staring at our voices on the on the lovely computer monitor with some microphones that Lydia is then going to make beautiful through editing a bit later is like, it's stunning. Yeah. That is actually quite powerful. I agree. I thought about how few sound engineers there were, like, say, in the 90s. And to some degree, you know, they had power. And it's not to say that, like, their work is not valuable. But the fact that average people like us can begin to approximate some of those skills actually is incredibly democratizing and powerful. And I know Carla and I have talked about how rewarding it is for us to have human conversations where... We don't necessarily need access to a CBC studio and we don't need to be trained for months on end. And we can facilitate, you know, human conversations with real people like you to happen. And yeah, how memorable and rewarding it is. And then to share, like people love listening to podcasts. What's up with that? Yeah, who knows? (laughs) But it's very creative. And I never really thought about the whole editing process as hmm. being like the level of creativity that was involved in it. And or just really like the grind it. of getting it done. It yeah, it was more just like a chop, chop, technical. chop. Yeah. I'm right. Done. And it sounds like you've learned also, you know, you said, I listened to this part and then imagine like that doesn't come immediately. You've, you've yeah. had some practice. Yeah. I took a few episodes and I feel like it's, I get better each time I do it. I feel bad. <laughs> I can't, I can't remember what episode it was, but Bryce is like, yeah, I edited it. Can you just take a listen and let me know what you think? <laughs> I spend another two and a half hours on it. <laughs> and then I'm like, uh, so I did some work on the uh, podcast. And he was like, I must have done a really shitty job. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, I just really got into it. And I just really got into like, I just went overboard in the detail. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, I think we could twist this and move this over here. And Well, that's think- exciting though. Like we, I know we have another colleague who in her, previous life and in her training like has done sound editing has made movies like that's one of the things she does and we were taking a digital storytelling course and we had an assignment just to make like a teeny tiny like two minute video or like four minute video you remember this yes she was like I didn't sleep last night. Yeah, she like rolled in and she was like, yeah, I finished mine. But like, I didn't go to sleep at all last night because I just like, I just get in the zone and I just love it. And like, it's the best. And we were all like, uh, okay. I totally didn't get it until yeah, like until the other showed, week. Well, oh, she showed it to us. And she showed it to us and it was unbelievable. It was like a, a work of sound art. But but I don't think yeah. I would have even got it. I didn't even really get the extent to it until I was sitting at my desk and I'm like off at 5.30 and here it is like 7.30 and I was like, oh, where did that two hours go? I'm like, I should probably go home. I believe what you guys are describing is the flow, right? Yeah. The flow state, how you enter it, because how absorbing it is and you don't even feel it, but you, you're obviously energized in the fact that the colleague was able to spend so much time and still, you know, go on. Yeah. I also wonder, you know, I had a art teacher who said, painting is hard. It takes practice. And so here's this painter telling me, I've always wondered how people make movies. It seemed like magic. You know, we talked about magic. It seems occult. It seems like it just happens and there it is. But then I realized people just do it, right? So there's technology, (laughs) there's story. Like there's parts to it. You break it down. And I wonder too with, you know, we all watch movies, but not all of us make it. But even making short, you know, videos and, and 
you know, digital stories and you learn kind of components to it, you begin to appreciate the work and kind of the craft that goes into it. I don't know about you, but, but I've certainly picked up on having those thoughts like, you know, that podcast seems so, flows so natural. I bet it just, you know, Sam Harris must be the most eloquent person on yeah, earth. Yeah. And you're like, they probably edited some stuff out, right? You know, how would you think of it until you had to do it? Yeah, well, even we've been getting comments of people who listen to the show who've come on as guests and they're like, everybody sounds so great. Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to sound terrible. And Bryce and I are both like, oh, God. Don't worry. We the guests it. sound the best. It's the two of us who sound terrible. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll make you sound good too. Yeah, until you cut out our Harry Potter summer vacation. But that was not me. That was Bryce. That was Bryce. That was all Bryce. Yeah. That was my guest star appearance. And the question was, who would Which you go on? Which fictional character would you take on summer vacation? Yeah, and where would you go? Yeah. And I had two answers, but my second answer was Harry Potter World. Okay, that's not true because that's a real place. Basically, Hogwarts would be open for summer camp. Of course. And muggles could go and like take all the classes and have a little bit of magic in their summer. And all three people on the podcast, <laughs> including Kim, <laughs> stared at me blankly and they were like, yeah, I don't read Harry Potter. Oh my God. And I was like, what is wrong with you guys? <laughs> it was just like dead silence. And then I was like, okay, and Angelica? Like, what are you? I was like, don't change the subject. <laughs> We're getting retribution on this podcast. Yes. That's why people have podcasts, yeah. right? Retribution. <laughs> so do you think you'll find a way to incorporate podcast research or practice into your uh, degree? Oh, yeah. I yeah? totally want to do, like, I would like to do some sort of um, research on podcasting and just listening and this idea of sound as a form of information or material object. And then, I don't know, maybe even be able to create some sort of digital story mm-hmm. about my topic. Yeah, that'd yeah. be um, very practicing what you preach, right? Like actually doing it and, mm-hmm. and tying those making ideas. It, making an object. Yeah. I think that's very undervalued in academia. Like people think, oh, but like how do you show what you've learned except to summarize it? That's really hard to succinctly bring together some of these ideas into yeah. a thing. And I don't know that words always do your ideas justice. Like sometimes you have to like experience something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not being facetious like I, I, I agree I, I also think about you know when I re-listen to everyone we've had and so I, I certainly probably self-conscious about the way I sounded and now I'm a lot more comfortable in realizing that like this is who I am this is how it is and that we all listen to each other all day right and we have ideas and, and feelings and associations with recognizing different voices. So there's there's something to it. There's mm-hmm. something so human and absorbing about the sound of the human voice. Yeah. And there's like, you can write a paper, but you can't get the same sort of tone in a paper that you can in people talking. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Communicating uh, sound back and forth. And then, I don't know, like, how does music fit in there and how do other sounds like urban sounds or rural sounds or water sounds or whatever, like, how can you incorporate all those? I know that's something that I'm interested in experimenting with our podcast is like bringing in when people are talking about something. And we've done it a couple of times with some songs where we would play a clip. Mm. But I think there's an opportunity to do that more with other types of sounds, like not just with music, but with like birds or like something. an audiobook or a... Yeah, I don't know. 
It's very in right now for like sound artists to go and collect real things that sound ephemeral, like rather than fabricating. You know. Oh my God, like Zac Efron? Yes. <laughs> are you, are you, is this the best segue of all time into the dumb story I was telling you earlier about the terrible Zac Efron movie? Yes. He, he must be a sound artist. That must be he it. He must be. Um, I was telling Lydia and Kim earlier about this like guilty... I love Zac Efron and I love watching Zac Efron movies. And there was this one on Netflix called We Are All Your Friends. And basically he's a young aspiring DJ. And like the peak of the movie, I will give it away. He takes sounds from his environment to create his amazing track to play at this festival. So he's not just taking beats that have been made in beat making programs. He's pulling everything from his own world and recording clips of his friends. I, I'm almost positive with a cassette tape or else I'm just making that up. No, it's probably with his iPhone because iPhone probably like sponsored it or whatever. Zach Efron Zach is Efron. a sound You're welcome, artist. Carla. He is a sound artist. <laughs> oh, that made me so happy. That was like a tiny gift to talk about Zach Efron. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun. I love having these kind of conversations. <laughs> this is why I'm so excited to go back to school. So I'm going to have these kind of like heady conversations. Yay. Great. Yeah. You're welcome back anytime. Yeah. We will go deep. <laughs> and then talk about Zac Efron and Harry Potter. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> well, thanks again for listening. We are available on Google Play now. Uh, so please leave us a review. Um, we also have a website called nolibrariansallowed.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we are libs allowed <laughs> and you can also search no librarians allowed so yeah thanks again and we'll see you in the next one mm -hmm.